right, Father, thank you so much for Anthony. Thank you for our community and that we can be blessed with his words. Um, I just pray that you would bless him and give him the words that you want him to say through this message. And thank you for this series. Thank you for all the life that it's been giving the church. And I just pray that that would continue tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Give a hand to Pastor Anthony. sticker. It's from Trader Joe's. It's from my daughter. It says I am one in a melon. And I've decided to keep it all. Amen. Proclaiming the truth. Alright. This is the second message that I've gotten to preach of our Emotionally Healthy Community Series. We're taking nine total weeks trying to wrestle this unhealthy community into submission. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not true. Sorry, I'm messing up already. We're reading as a staff this book, The Emotionally Healthy Church by Peter Schizero, and it's really good. And we are just going through the seven principles in the book that are really fantastic about how to be emotionally and relationally mature, which makes for better individuals and a better community. And we want to be in a mature community, not one that's messed up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. This is the first principle today. So I could have titled the message, Principle One. Look beneath the surface. But I did not do that, because that is boring. So instead, I titled the message, Look Down or Die. And then I thought, that's grim. So I re-retitled the message, Grab the Rat. <laughs> Which is fantastic, and I need to explain that. Justin's laughing because I've been talking to him about this. Have I talked to anybody else about grabbing the rat? Just Justin. All right, you're all going to get it right now. I am a fan. You can pray for me if you feel led of an author named H.P. Lovecraft. Holler, anybody? Thank you very much. And one of my favorite stories of his is called The Rats in the Walls, okay? And if you like horror science fiction, you should check it out. But the main character moves into this old mansion and there are rats in the walls, but you never quite know if they're real rats or kind of spiritual rats, okay? And they lead the character slowly into insanity and slowly down to the depths of this dungeon where he becomes something and does some things that at the beginning of the story he would have never done. You don't know if the rats are real or in his imagination, the whole story. But they absolutely represent the dark things that are lurking inside him that he cannot or will not face until it's the end. And so I actually have a spiritual principle called grabbing the rat. Where if I feel like something's scurrying around in here that is nasty and ugly that I don't even want to look at or touch... I have to discipline myself and verbally, usually, in this building when no one else is here, I will just grab that sucker and I will describe in detail to the Lord all the nastiness that I feel moving around in here and I will hand it to him. And he will either say, that's entirely wrong and evil and not for me. Let me take that rat from you and get rid of it. Or he'll say, let me cast this in the proper light. And suddenly this ugly, nasty rat is a white, cute, fluffy one, and I keep it as a pet, and we're all good. So, <laughs> grab the rat. All right, drop your offering off. You are dismissed. No. Here we go. This, that's right, the Dropbox is right near that. I couldn't pick just one metaphor, this message, so we have a mighty message of myriad mixed metaphors, and we are starting. Rolled right through that with this one. This is a sailboat. Let's imagine for a moment that you believe that a good sailor, a real pro, okay, shouldn't have to look at the water. Amen. You shouldn't even have to look around you. 
You should only look up because you have GPS, right? And guided by your satellite system, you ought to be able to sail only looking up at the stars like your ancestors long ago. Problem is, you're confused because the wind is coming from the east. I know that's north, but for the sake of my analogy, at, at like three to five miles per hour, it's a pretty gentle wind. But the odd thing is, you're also moving that way. And you can't figure that out. And what's also strange is you want, don't want to look at the water because you know, you're a good sailor, but it keeps hitting you. It's hitting you, and it's hard to keep your stance, right? The boat is wobbly, and you may or may not have just hit something, and you're super confused. Nothing seems right. Your GPS is not helping you. You're not supposed to move in the direction of the wind on a sailboat. Now, you might say, who would be dumb enough to sail on rapids, right? Nobody is going to do that. You know, of course the wind is coming from that direction. There's not really any wind. That's the current, man. That's why you're moving that way. You're about to hit a rock, wreck your boat, and die. No one is that dumb. Except pastors. <laughs> Here's a quote from Pete Scazzaro in his book. He says, My focus was upward and outward, growing our church, reaching people for Christ. He's looking up, man. Be raising up leaders. But an authentic relationship with Christ also takes us into the depths, the shadows, the strongholds, I would say facing the rats, and the darkness deep within that must be purged. There is a looking down and a looking in aspect to Christianity. If you want to make it and not hit a rock and die, metaphorically, I hope. So we're going to look at that. What does the Bible say about our hearts? What does the Bible say about the deepest parts of ourselves. How important is that to pay attention to? It turns out super duper important. Here's Jesus talking in Mark 7, 20 to 23. You've probably heard this, but here it is again. Jesus went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Those are rats in the walls. And all of these things come from inside and defile a person. The book of James echoes this. A lot of times we like to think we're so good that if any temptation befalls us, right, it's just the devil who brings this whole huge temptation to our door and throws the temptation at us. But you know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this in James 1, 13 to 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And he doesn't immediately say there, it's the devil who does it. He says this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. The rats in the walls are having an effect. And the devil's real good at getting them angry and feisty and letting them out. But they're in here, Okay. And they don't just cause problems for me or you. They cause problems for everybody. James continues. James 4, 1 to 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So what's causing all these problems in your community? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. He's being a bit dramatic here. I think the church is literally killing each other, I hope. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, but when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So not only are there desires and motivations and emotions inside us that if unrestrained will wreck us, rats in the walls to keep saying that, I love that story, but they won't just wreck you, they'll wreck this whole thing we call church because you'll begin acting in such a way that destroys community. It's not good. And this is why in Proverbs, it says this in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The difference between this sailing excursion and this sailing excursion <laughs> is what lies beneath. So we need to pay attention to that. We're going to bring back our two very special individuals from the intro. And we're going to piece together a, a good way, a healthy way of going into your heart with God. Taking a look inside. And at the end, we'll sum it up, you know, in plain English so nobody misses it. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, here we go. Who remembers this guy? <laughs> right? The person who d just cramps his emotions and his desires and his motivations into a hole, right? Because I don't want to look at those things, and I don't want anyone else to see them either. The problem is your emotions and desires and motivations will not stay in a hole. They will climb out. They will cause problems. They want to do their own thing, and they want to lead you around by the nose. So, what does this guy do? He covers the hole. You just put a big rock on it, right? And I'm not going to go through the list, but this guy, henceforth known as Rock Person. <laughs> rock Person really doesn't want these emotions, desires, and motivations to come out and be seen. So they put up this incredible facade so that they don't have to face who they are or what they're feeling or what they're doing and why, and so that you can't see it either. This makes them a faker. It makes them inauthentic. And they didn't sit at home and decide, you know, I'd like to be an inauthentic faker. <laughs> They're forced. You, he can't be anything but a faker because he's not facing the stuff that's going on inside. It's still having an effect. This is very, very tiring. This causes a lot of anxiety. You have to keep adding rocks. Those things are not going to stay down. It takes a lot of work to keep up this facade. And you might not even set out to have a fake personality or a fake face, you know. But it's going to happen naturally if you keep pushing all of these things that are inside you down instead of dealing with it. God is good. Amen? Amen. He's not going to allow this to stay this way. He's going to show up. And he's going to say, hello, friend. I see that you're struggling. How about we move that rock and we can address what you're feeling and why you're doing what you do. What do you say? And rock person will probably say, in my experience, move the rock. Are you crazy? I'll just make some declarations. So okay. when life gets hard, it's okay. Don't, don't show me any hands. If you are a rock person, all right? Rock people, yeah, come on. Let me see. I've done this. It's okay. I'm, not, I'm the only one. So it's like I have anxiety. I could move the rock and find out why, or I could say, no, Lord, I claim your peace that surpasses all understanding. Like, I feel really afraid. I could move this rock and find out. No, 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 you've not given me a spirit of fear, Lord. You've given me a spirit of power. It's like, well, gosh, I'm, I, I, am I dealing with lust? That's impossible. No, Lord, you've cleansed me from all unrighteousness. I just don't receive that. You know, I just feel really miserable. No, 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 I'm loved. I'm loved and I'm safe in your arms. In Jesus' name, I feel really ashamed. No, you've cleansed me again from all unrighteousness, Lord. Anything but dealing with the rock. 
If you want to use God's truth the way it's meant to be used, it needs to go from here to here. In order to penetrate the heart, my man has to move the rock. Declarations are good. Knowing the truth is good. It is appropriate to use it. But using it this way is like fixing one of these with cold patch. <laughs> we know what this is, right? A pothole. We're in like the pothole capital of the world. I just feel so bad. I think that must be the most miserable job. The people, they always send them out when it's like 105 degrees in August, right? And they have boiling, nasty, hot blacktop, you know, and they're filling potholes, which is essentially a worthless job. It's like throwing rocks over a fence to throw it back over again. Because winter is going to come. What's going to happen to that pothole patch? It's going to kick right out, man. I mean, water gets in there, freezes, and pops that sucker right out. Until eventually the whole road looks like this. And this is what Locust Street actually used to look like a few years ago. So, rock person, I'm mixing metaphors, if this is his life, he's not going to go deep. Alright? Six inches is too deep. He's running everywhere trying to patch these potholes. Okay? That is so tiring. And if you are a rock person... You are tired of running around and patching and patching and patching and patching and pushing things down and trying desperately not to face things and hoping no one else realizes that you are haggard and stressed and running around trying to keep up appearances when you are dying. So why don't we just get a new road? And the answer actually is quite simple. If, if you want to get a new road, it's brutal. You have to go deep and tear the old one out it's expensive, it takes time, it's inconvenient, it has to be done correctly. I mean, you have to drive around some areas for a while. It's painful. But you know what? This is the only way to really fix the problem. God's truth is good, but his truth has to penetrate deep. And so rock person has got to move the rock. He's got to tear up what needs to be torn up. And that truth has to sink down. Does that make sense? Amen. All right, let's move on to the next guy. Oh, this is a great quote from Pete Scazzaro. We change our behavior when staying the same becomes greater, when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. But eventually, even for rock person, he's like, just tear up the road, man. Move the rock. i got to deal with this. It's causing too many problems. Next person that we will affectionately call horse people. If you are a horse person, you are the opposite of rock person. You are very aware of your emotions, motivations, and desires. In fact, they are dragging you around, and you are like bouncing around in the mud behind your motivations and desires. If you're angry, you're furious. If you're sad, you can't function. If you're tired, it's woe is me. You know what I mean? It's absolutely amazing. Everything is passionate for good or bad. Your ups, your downs. It's like, who the heck even are you? Right? (laughs) Underneath this wild torrent of emotional experience. Maybe you don't even know. Which means, guess what? Horse person also is a faker. Horse person also is just as inauthentic as rock person. Because they're led around by the nose, by these passions that are not them, but are ruining them and ruling them in a way. Does that make sense? And sometimes horse people will cover for this, and you say, gosh, you sure seem angry. That's who I am. You know, why are you sad all the time? That's just how I am. Like, you seem depressed a lot. That's who I am. 
And instead of saying, yeah, I've got some things that are out of control, some emotions, motivations, and desires, some crazy rats in the walls, if you will, that are just leading me around. I don't even feel free to be who I am. I don't even know who that is. Can you help? Instead of doing that, you fake it. And you just completely ally yourself with these emotions, desires, and motivations. They are like a fire out of the fire pit, man. This is a problem. So he's a faker. But God is good, amen? God's not going to let this guy stay this way. He's going to come around and he's going to say, Hello, friend. I see you're struggling. I have some amazing truth to tell you that I know will help. What do you say? But horse people, God bless them, will probably respond to God, No thanks. I'm fine. Everything's okay. I just need to journal for about six hours. <laughs> just like rock people don't want to look under the rock, these people are like addicted to introspection. Not everybody, but a lot that I've known. And it's like, and they go into their journal, maybe they shut the door, maybe they're up to like four, five, six in the morning, and then they are just deep in their inside. They are like in the walls with the rats, right? It's like they're wandering around in like the labyrinth of their heart. These people, like they are documenting new wildlife in their heart. It's like, oh, I feel this way. Now I feel this way about feeling this way. And when I was seven, this happened. And oh my God, like I didn't realize that my great-grandfather one time had this experience and that probably did this to me. You know, my goodness. You can get lost in your heart, all right? And if you finally manage to make it all the way to the middle, you're in the middle. You're not out. Plus David Bowie. This is not good. Okay? <laughs> that is not a solution. All right? I really enjoyed that. <laughs> oh. So the Bible warns about this, okay? And this is what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I hate the movie Labyrinth. I really, it really freaks me out. <laughs> but I think it's a pretty interesting representation of what's going on inside that we don't understand. I don't know if that was Jim Henson's intention or not, but that's the way I think, and that's what I saw. What do you do? This whole message is about looking inside. This whole message is about looking beneath the surface, and I'm telling you that it's desperately sick in there, and it's a labyrinth, and there's all kind of crazy stuff that's weird and dangerous and, and, and interesting, but it's not helpful. Well, Jeremiah continues, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. There is a guide. When you want to dive into the deep parts of your heart, my advice to you is don't go alone. Go with the Holy Spirit who knows how to make sense of this crazy world and guide you to the truth. Does that make sense? Pete Scazzaro has a quote. It's long. I won't read it. But he says, if you try to go into your heart by yourself, that's like walking on a tightrope with no safety net. You need to go in with the truth of the gospel to keep you safe. And that is absolutely correct. So this message, I hope, has been kind of fun. But we have actually discerned I'm sorry about the David Bowie thing. Is that why I'm getting in the face? Like, he's just a creepy dude, okay? At least it was only a headshot. There was like a whole body picture. I don't know if you guys remember his outfit from that yes. movie, but cropping. I'm not, no, not in church. Sorry, David. <laughs> Psalm 139, 20. <laughs> Am I recording this? Or, uh, Psalm 139, 23 to 24. This is how David did it. 
David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. I love that language. And lead me in the way everlasting. David did not have a problem expressing his heart. David wasn't dumb enough to go there alone. Search me, God. You're the one that searches the heart and makes sense of this nonsense. I need your help with me. Because I can't grab these rats by myself. There's stuff running around in here that I sense might ruin me, that isn't wholesome, that isn't good. And I need you to come and help me sort this out. That's wisdom. And that's the key. That's the right way to do it. So let's end with just a three-step process. This is how I do it. Peter Scazzaro has four steps. They're very similar, so I don't feel like I'm, I'm changing it too much. He would say how to look beneath the surface. Boring. Sorry, Pete. Grabbing the rat. Here we go. Okay. First off, you are in God's presence. Okay? If you want to whine, you know what? That is okay sometimes. If you need to vent, that's okay sometimes. I actually had a little venting session the other day. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. But that's not the same as what I'm talking about. Okay? If you want to look beneath the surface with the Lord, if you're trying to grab the rats during the walls and bring them into submission to the truth, you better do that in prayer. You better invite the Lord into the process first, and that needs to soak everything you do. And then once you're in prayer, and you can be pacing around, I like to do this when I'm moving. So I suggest going someplace quiet and actually walking around and talking out loud. Once you do that, do these three things. One, ask what you are feeling and why. And you may be stuck there for a minute. Then, maybe you have a different issue. Maybe you have a habitual sin. Maybe you have a habitual thing that you keep doing that you know isn't authentic. A way that you keep saying. Something you keep saying you like that you don't like. It doesn't matter what it is, but you're puzzled about it. Bring that to the Lord and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? That's looking for a motivation. Okay? These two questions have done wonders for my life. Honest to God. And then the third part is the most important. Stand firm on the gospel. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. God does love you. You are in, not out. He's not mad at you. He's for you. He's not against you. That's where you're firm, okay? And then ask God to give you truth about the things that you just uncovered. Um, an example, I hesitate to do this because he knows where it'll go. But like, let's just say you're angry. So you, you come to the church, maybe you're me, this isn't for my real life, I'm going to try to make something up. Would that be helpful? Here we go. So I come here, I turn off the lights because I don't know, God shows up when the lights are off. Who knows? I don't know. Preach. I probably have a coffee. If you're not in the shower, you come here. And I'm like, God, I feel angry. And I'm walking around. I've already prayed. I've invited him to wait for a response. And God will always say 100% of the time, well, why are you angry? I don't know, is always my response. And then I might meander around and say something else. And God will say, well... You, are you ashamed of something? Well, I, maybe. You know? Well, what are you, what are you ashamed of? I'm ashamed that I, I yelled at Nicole this morning. I shouldn't have done that. You yelled at Nicole. Okay. All right. Well, why did you yell at Nicole? Well, I yelled at Nicole because I'm making this up, I swear. Uh, I yelled at Nicole because she asked me if I was ready to go. Well, that's a dumb thing to yell at your wife about. Why did you do that? Well, because I wanted to do dishes. And I didn't have a chance to do dishes, and I felt like she was rushing me out the door. That is real, because I hate dirty dishes. So, and I felt like when she said, are you ready to go, she was really saying, you should have done those dishes 
yesterday instead of waiting for this morning. Well, that's why I'm angry. That's dumb. But then it goes deeper. Like, well, why did that make you angry? Why, why do you care so much about the dishes? Well, I'm afraid if I don't do the dishes, nobody's going to do the dishes. Nobody's going to do the dishes if you don't do the dishes. Are you that important? My goodness. Like, no one in the whole house would do the dishes. I'm like, yeah, that, that's, that's, that is my operating belief, that the dishes would stack up and people would literally be eating on the floor if I didn't do the dishes. Well, Anthony, that's dumb. Yep, that's dumb. Well, why do you feel that way? Well, because I have mistakenly judged the other people in my house as dirtier than me, or not as good as cleaning as me, or maybe I feel like, well, they're slobs, or maybe I've thought different things about these people, Keith and my wife, that weren't right and were unhealthy and weren't from the Lord, and it all came to a head when I was asked, are you ready to go this morning at 6.45? And it made me so mad that I'm still fuming about it and didn't even know why. It's like, well, you need to figure out why you made these judgments. Well, two weeks ago, she left the dish. Seriously? Yeah. No, okay, I got too real. See, this is why I was afraid to do it. It's like, two weeks ago, I had just done all the dishes. And she ate a bowl of chicken ramen from Pacific Rim Asian store and just left it in the sink after I'd done all the dishes. It's like, and you've been harboring a grudge for a week and a half? That made you furious all day when she asked you, are you ready to go? Bro, we got to forgive and let that go. Like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. I can't believe that a week and a half ago, some bowl of ramen is causing me right now to be furious. I just, I forgive my wife in the name of Jesus. That's such a dumb thing. God, I'm sorry I'm dumb and petty sometimes. Forgive me for that. Please help me be more mature and more forgiving. And you know what, next time, I, I, you know what, this is how I'm going to fix it. I'm just going to wash the bowl. I'm going to do it because I love her and not because I have to. And I remove that judgment and I refuse to be angry at her. I'm going to send her a text right now saying how much I love her. That is grabbing the rat. That's what it looks like. And you would be shocked at how helpful this can be. You know, how are you feeling? I'm angry. And it goes to a bowl of ramen a week and a half ago. <laughs> I didn't script that. You know, but that's how it works. Amen? Amen. Amen. And maybe I won't put that last part online. Who knows? Yeah, I'm going to stop there. Who's the other